God, we just love you. Let's give him a hand. Let's say thank you, Father. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So it said all creation will sing his glory. Did you see the rainbow last night around our community? It was just glorious. It was God's saying to us that he's there for you. He's there for you. And so we're just so glad that you're here with us today. Why don't you go ahead and have a seat? That'd be wonderful. We'll engage together. As we were singing holy, holy, holy there, it reminded me of our church prayer that we introduced last week. You have a copy of this in your uh, program. If you weren't here, you want to watch so you know exactly what we're doing. But tomorrow we'll be talking about praising him. Hallowed be your name. And that's what we just did. We just sang praises to him and said, holy, holy, holy is he. Hope you did this this week. It was very meaningful for me. Uh, and so I just encourage you that you would want to engage with us every week for all of 2020 as we do this church prayer together. That would be really cool. So we introduced this series last week and we started in talking about, uh, I started with a question as we're talking about practicing the way of Jesus. And so I began with this thought last week. I said this, when Jesus called people to follow him, it was not to follow him so that they could start a new religion. That wasn't why he came. It was not to follow him so that they could gain great wealth and prosperity, of some, as some people has twisted the Bible and his teachings to say. It was not to follow him, and if you follow him, all your woes and worries will disappear. In fact, he said himself, you will have troubles in this world, so that wasn't why he came. It was not to follow him and be guaranteed power, possession, or position. It was not to follow him to be healed of all disease or sickness, as some people have twisted the Bible to say. It was none of that. Now, before we do talk about what he came to do, I want to throw out another little zinger with us today, kind of help us to get in today in this moment. As we begin today, I just want to say this. Jesus does not want you to become a Christian. Whoa. Jesus does not want you to become a Christian. Okay, now that you've got that under your belt, your brain's going into overdrive right now. Some of you are about to walk out on me here. I just want you to help us. I'm going to talk about that today. What does Jesus want us to become? You know, when you talk about Christian, most people would say, you know, I, in fact, it was, I saw the stats this week. 78% of the people say that they are a Christian in America. And that's defined by the fact that I, I believe certain things to be true about God or the Bible. I attend church occasionally, and that really works into my schedule, and I really have kind of a moral life. Now, it's not perfect, but I have kind of a moral life. That's kind of how most people describe what a Christian might be. But that's like not what the Bible teaches a follower of Jesus would be. And that's what we want to make a distinction about today as we gather together. You know the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, and all three times it's in a negative light? Kind of like today, the word Christian is used so many times in a negative light. Whereas the word disciple, and that's what we're going to look at today, the word disciple is used 268 times as God calls us to be his disciple. It's the most common way in the New Testament that God describes those who are really the sons and daughters of God as we just sing about the children of God. So the word disciple is from the Greek word uh, methetes, and it talks about, uh, and it's translated different ways, but most scholars would say the best ways that can be translated would be disciple, as well, that's why it is in most of our Bibles, or follower, and that's the language we use around here. Or we're going to use a word today, as Kim said, not really common in our language, and that's the word apprentice. 
But the word apprentice is actually the best picture of what the word actually means as we go through. So if these, okay, Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. And if Jesus didn't come to make us Christians, why did he come? Why did he come? Why did he come here? Well, that's a very good question. And I hope to answer that today. So let's all grab our message notes. They look like this. They're going to help you follow along today. We have lots of different Bible verses today, so from different passages, so it's really helpful if you have this. If you have a Bible you want to go with me, that's wonderful. If you don't own a Bible, I'd like to give you one. You can stop. There's a bookshelf out there. You can follow along in that. This is a great time for me also to mention a couple of books that I want to just throw out to you in this series. Um, the first one's called An Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland Jr., and I'll be referring to this. And in the second one, I refer a lot to today, and this is by Dallas Willard called The Great Omission. You've heard of The Great Commission. Well, The Great Omission, as Dallas would say, is the church has forgotten its responsibility to make disciples who make disciples. And that's The Great Omission. Both of these are wonderful books that you can look at. There's others in the bookstore you can look at as well. But right at the top, there's the words of Jesus there. And those words of Jesus talk to us about what he came to bring to those who follow him. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. When I read that, I think, first of all, the question is, is that the life I have? Is that the life I have? Is that really what I... Well, say that overall, I say my life is just full and running over with all the wonderful things that God says he came to give? How about you? Is that the life that you have? Well, Eugene Peterson, uh, who passed away in the last year, he says this very eloquently. He says, it's the way of Jesus wedded to the truth of Jesus that brings about the life of Jesus. So we're talking about practicing the way. We're going to share truth. And as we do that, it brings out the life of Jesus. So every year in January and February, what our church does is we do a vision series. And the idea of the vision series is just to kind of circle the wagons, bring us all back together as a family, and recenter us on what we're doing as a church. And so this series is framed around the idea of practicing the way of Jesus, and it's centered around who God is calling us to be and what he's guiding us to do as a church in the area of making apprentices or disciples who follow him. So we're going to see is we're going to see that describing the full life that that he came to bring is possible between us and God because of our walk with Jesus Christ, our walk with him. Jesus came to make it a reality that we would follow him. So practicing the way of Jesus describes the kind of life that leads to a wide, spacious place of fulfillment and leads to joy. So let me just kind of set this up a little bit. If you were in the first century and say you're in your village and a rabbi would come to town. So rabbis would travel from town to town, from community to community, and that they would teach and they would expound the scriptures and what did God have to say. And they'd help the people to know what God was saying to them. And then they would call certain ones to follow them in a relationship. And so they called these teachers rabbis. And Jesus was called a rabbi. If you read the Bible, you read the New Testament. In fact, somewhere around 60 times, Jesus is referred to as rabbi um, by those who were following him. It was the prime distinction that was made of Jesus by those who knew him and were with him. So this rabbi would follow, it would, it would go around from town to town. And what the rabbi would do is the rabbi would teach his yoke. You've heard the yoke of Jesus Christ, and he would teach his yoke. And what yoke means, it's a euphemism that described a set of teachings or way of reading the scriptures in that day. 
So when you take the rabbi's joke on you, you would say, I'm going to accept this set of teachings or the way of interpreting the scriptures. In the biography accounts of Jesus that were called the Gospels, we see that Jesus' primary designation was rabbi. Now, that has a lot of implications on us, just as it did the early followers of Jesus in his day. So let's just read some verses. Let's just jump in. I could have picked others. You go to John chapter 1, you're going to find other verses that talk about Jesus' call for people to follow him. So it says this, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That was their occupation. Jesus looks at them and says, come, follow me. And he says this, I will send you out to fish for people. Would you just underline, come follow me, I will send you out? Those are key phrases. Come follow me. I will send you out. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Then we go over to, you can go to Mark 2, and there's another account that I couldn't include for space issues. But go to Mark 3. Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him. So he's inviting those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Underline that, be with him. It's a key phrase, that they might be with him, that he might send them out. Another key phrase, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. And then we go over to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, it says, then he called the crowd. Once again, he's calling folks to follow him. Now, I want you to underline the word crowd there because it's a key distinction. Crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever, underline that, whoever. This is going to, we're going to close today. We're going to wrap up with this thought. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So in Jesus' day, this is what's happening, and this is what he wants to say to you today as well. The rabbi would extend an invitation, an offer, a calling in some way, and it would be something like this. I'm inviting you to be my apprentice. I'm inviting you to be the one who follows after me. And what I want you to do is I want you to walk with me. I want you to learn from me. I want you to imitate me. And then I want you to become me. I want you to go into the world yourself that you might make disciples. So if you're lucky enough, in Jesus' day, you were chosen to be his apprentice. I think you can imagine how lucky that would be to be chosen to be the apprentice of Jesus. And what you, if you were chosen to be the apprentice of Jesus, if you said yes to Jesus at that moment, you were saying yes to three things, saying yes to three things. And that's what we want to look at today as we talk about what it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus or what's practicing the Jesus way. And those three things, I think, is what God is calling us to do together as a church family as we follow him as his disciples or his followers as apprentice. Three things. First is this. Practicing his apprenticeship with Jesus first means that I am committing to be with Jesus. So that's the first thing I'm committing to do, is to be with Jesus. Uh, there's a guy that, write, he's written a really popular book out there, and it's talking about the world and culture, and it says um, that the culture, um, that they hate the church, but they love Jesus, something like that. And so, you know, what we're called to do, folks, is we're called to align ourselves with Jesus here. We're told told to walk with him. Now, part of that means being part of a church. But we're told to align ourselves to say, I'm going to be with 
Jesus. I'm going to follow him. This is our first and foremost goal as a follower of Jesus Christ, is to be with him, to spend, this is kind of crazy, the rap, if you were an apprentice or a follower, a disciple, you would spend every waking moment and sleeping moment with your rabbi. You couldn't break apart the relationship. So when Jesus says in Mark 3, I had you underline, that they may be with him, so that's the invitation, that we would be with Jesus. Apprenticeship in Jesus' day was a 24-7 kind of deal. My daughter went back to college uh, this last week. And so she has a set of schedules. And so she goes on Monday, she has two classes. And then she goes on Tuesday, she has two classes. And Wednesday, she has no class. And Thursday, she has two classes. And so she has kind of a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday schedule. Well, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is calling us to a 24-7 schedule, that we will be with him every day, all day, and that we would literally walk with him. So that's what you would do if you had a rabbi. You would walk with that rabbi every single day. You would do all of your life with that rabbi, trying to you know, listen to the inflections, listen to the teachings, listen to the interpretations, watch the way that the rabbi related, and then you would seek to be with that rabbi so that well, the way that rabbi was living would rub off on you in some way. In fact, there was a phrase that they used to describe this relationship, and it's actually a phrase of blessing uh, in that day, and so that you would literally be so close, you would be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Now, they didn't have paved streets, right? So they walked on dirt roads. And so they were so close together. Guys, anybody ever been backpacking? And you go backpacking and you're back and you've got your backpack on. And it's in August backpacking. There's not been much moisture and, the, and lots of people come before you. And there's all this fine dirt that is on the trails and it just kind of comes up. And so you want to stay back from the person who's in front of you so that it doesn't sift onto you like, you know, kind of like powder might do. If you just threw up powder and you walk through it and it gets on you. Well, that's exactly what they're saying. The blessing is for us that comes from Jesus is that the dust of his feet would just cover us like powder would cover us if we walked through that. That's the beginning of all discipleship. So Jesus now uses an example to help us to know what that means. And he uses an example from agriculture. And so there's an agrarian economy and community, much like we have in California in many ways, and he uses an example that would really relate to us in California. He says this in John 15. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. And then he says this, remain, let's underline that, or abide in me. And so another, that's just another way of him saying, be with me. I want you to be with me, as I also remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Throughout John 15, Jesus says 10 different times that we should abide or remain, be hooked into him. And so our primary goal, I'll just say this, the number one goal that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, as his apprentices, is to learn how to be with him. That's hard, isn't it? How do I be with Jesus? Now, I, I'm going to say it was easier in his day because he was there in physical bodily form. And so you really did see the dust as he walked. And so it was easier for them. How do we do that today? How do we walk with Jesus today? Well, Jesus helps us to know that. Toward the end of his life, in what is called his final discord in John chapter 14, Jesus says, here's how you will be able to walk with me after I'm gone. He says this, 
If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, underline, advocate. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you, underline this, some of the time. He will be with you forever. He will be with you forever. In other words, you can't get out of his presence. You can't get out of his presence. Jesus said, I'm no longer going to be around in bodily form. But he says, it's actually better for you if I'm not. Because when I'm in bodily form, I'm tied to time and place. But if I'm not in bodily form, if I'm spirit, I can be anywhere at all times. And he says, I can be with you through the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So since Jesus is no longer limited by time and space as he was in physical form, now he's able to be with all people at all times, because he's God, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so here's where we have to learn to see him. We have to be able to open ourselves up to Jesus as Holy Spirit. To be with Jesus means that I'm going to develop a relationship with the spirit of Jesus. I can't have Jesus physically, so I have to learn to have relationship with a being I can't see or hear in the way that communication would happen between physical beings. So this means the most important goal of an apprentice to Jesus is to learn to be in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Holy Spirit. Brother Lawrence, you guys have heard of Brother Lawrence, I'm sure. He wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He was a 15th century servant. Servant. He wasn't a priest. He was a servant. He was the dishwasher for the you know, dishes in the Catholic church and he was in. And he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And he described how he learned how to be with God constantly, to do all of his life with God. And he wrote it down into letters and there's some folks that say, I can't really, I couldn't verify this. Some folks that say that next to the Bible, this is the most purchased or read book ever written, is practicing the presence of God. People would come from all over. They'd come from all over France. They would hear about Brother Lawrence, and they'd come from all over just to watch him wash dishes. Because there was something about the fact that when he was washing dishes, he was doing it with Jesus. And you could sense it and feel it in the air and what was happening. So that's our call, but it takes intentionality. So for each of these three things I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you an action step. And so the action step for this one is to slow down. Ooh. If I'm going to be with Jesus, I have to what? Slow down. Slow down. See, the first and primary goal of an apprentice is just to slow down so you can be with him. So when you were apprenticed with Jesus in his day and he said, come follow me, you went at his pace. Now, one of the things I love that Dallas Willard would teach is he says, there's one thing if you want to describe Jesus, uh, the best way to describe him as you can read through the scriptures is that Jesus was never in a hurry. Now, most of us are in a hurry, right? So I'm sure most of us would be behind Jesus. Let's go. <laughs> we got to get there. And Jesus would just slow down. And so when we are willing to slow down, then we can be with him. Another thing Dallas Willard said is he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Anybody think that they have hurry problems? I could do a test today if you wanted. 
just to be honest, okay, I think we all have this issue of hurry problems. There's a, there's a lot of written today about stress and the damage done from the pace that we keep trying to live as we keep having time-saving devices that actually allow us uh, to cram more in into the space we have instead of being able to get more done. We actually cram more in. Uh, I read this week, this is, i just throwing this out because I, I was just blown away, and then I was also challenged. I read this week that the average person touches their phone or device 2,600 times a day. Woo! That's constant pressure. Constant pressure. Never being able to be released. You know, only time will tell what this social experiment is actually going to cause in all of our lives as we have this cyborg appendage that we have now called a phone or a device, what it's actually doing to us. Only time will tell. In order to slow down, I have to unplug. Thomas Kelly, in a book called Testament of Devotion, describes the kind of life Jesus came. He says this, Life from the center is a life of unhurried peace and power. It is simple. It is serene. It is amazing. It is triumphant. It is radiant. It takes no time. I hear people tell me that they don't have time to be with God. What did he just say? It takes no time. It takes no time. But it occupies all our time, all of who we are. And it makes our life programs new and overcoming. We need not get frantic. He is at the helm. And when our little day, I love this, when our little day is done, we lie down quietly in peace for all is well. All is well. Dallas Willard said it this way. He said this, The first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls, for our whole person. He goes on and says, Our part in practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdens and habits, but these are habits and not the law of gravity and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones. As we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us, soon our minds will return to God as a needle of a compass continually returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. The pole star of our inward beings. And his point is, is that living in the constant awareness, state of awareness of and connection to the presence of God or Jesus all day long, it requires practice. It requires practice. We talked last week about teasingly and said, if I want to run a marathon, I have to first be able to run around the block. And so I have to learn to run around the block so I can get in shape so that someday I might be able to run a marathon. And that's exactly what it takes. It takes practice to be able to walk continually with God. So we're talking about spiritual disciplines here, talking about habits. And I'd rather call them habits of grace than spiritual discipline. So I am engaging this habit with the idea that it's in grace, and by God's grace, he is going to cause something to happen to me that couldn't happen unless I was with him. But it's all by grace, not by my effort, but it's all because 
of him. And so what would those habits be? They'd be things like prayer. That's why we talk about the, the prayer that we want to do. And so every day this week, I, I had a moment with God as I prayed the Lord's Prayer, and I focused on the one focus for the day. So there's a moment of prayer where I'm drawn into his presence. We have silence. Once again, we hate silence. We hate solitude. And yet I think that silence and solitude are some of the greatest experiences we can have as apprentices to be brought into his presence. We can fast. And, you know, so many people fast because they want to get something from God. I think we fast to be with God. And he changes our perspective as we're with him. Joyful generosity is another habit that we can engage in as we give ourselves and our stuff away to other people. Reading the Bible, that's another habit of grace. It's not a duty that we have to do. It's actually a habit. Observing the Sabbath, gathering in community here and with smaller groups as well. Serving others, hospitality. The list is extensive. There are habits that we can engage in that are with habits of withdrawal or abstinence and habits of engagement or doing. So both of them are good for us as we engage. And as we do those, the, the idea is not to do more, but the idea is, is to learn to experience God and Jesus in the process of what I'm doing. So I have to look at that that way. And these are, you know, when you look at the lists that are available today, these are time-tested ways to remain or abide in Jesus. But honestly, we just can't do it at the pace most of us are living our lives. We just can't. We must slow down so that we can practice the presence of God. Second idea is this. Practicing apprenticeship with Jesus means to become like Jesus. Remember I said a rabbi would call the apprentices to come watch the way he did life and imitate him. And that's what we're talking about. Become like Jesus. That's what he calls us to do. So out of that place of abiding in vine, our goal as apprentices is to become like our rabbi, Jesus. Become like him. So this is what he says in Luke 6. He says, he also told him this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they both not fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained, apprentice, everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher will become like the teacher. So he says, the process of training, of spiritual development, is so that you can become like him. And well, what was Jesus like? Well, you can read the Bible. You can read the four Gospels, the best biography I've ever written, I mean, I've ever read, that we can read about Jesus and who he is. But we talked about this last week. Paul describes who Jesus was when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and he says this. I want you to notice it begins and ends with the key to what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit produces, underline that, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. The Holy Spirit produces, let us follow the Spirit. Let us open ourselves up. And as we open ourselves up into a process of being formed into the image of Jesus, that we will become more like him. So what he's talking about here is the term that's used right now in our culture is called spiritual formation. I, I remember when spiritual formation first being, I first started hearing about spiritual formation talk, and I, I felt like it was, um, I, I didn't like it actually. 
And so I would actually push away anyone who would want to talk about spiritual formation because I really felt like there was so much more that we should be doing for God than actually taking time to be formed into the image of Jesus. I didn't know I was saying that. That's what I was saying. And so now I've got a whole other perspective of this, and I talked about this ever since 2013. It's just been a huge change in my life about how I see what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And so spiritual formation, according to Dallas Willard, he says this, in the Christian tradition, it is the process, process, notice this, process, it's, it's going to happen over time, there's going to be ups and downs, there's going to be victories and there's going to be losses, there's going to be moments when we're in the skies and we're in the heavens and we've seen a rainbow and everything's wonderful and then we're in the darkness, there's going to be those times, it's a process of increasingly, so it's a process of being, of increasing, right, the, the, it's not going down, it's not going flat, it's going up, up increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke, so his teachings, easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So the action step here is that we want to walk with. We want to walk with. We want to learn to walk with the Holy Spirit. Work, learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, learn to keep in step with the Spirit, learn to open ourselves up to the teaching, the work, the, the inspiration, the life of the Spirit. It's as we walk in the Spirit, as Paul says, that we are supernaturally transformed to become like Jesus more and more. So let's go back to the analogy when Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. And so if you think about that, you think about I'm a peach tree, and I have little peach blossoms, and then I have little peach plant uh, fruit that starts growing. So the tree is producing the fruit and at a certain point, the fruit doesn't start going, okay, tree, thanks a lot. Thanks for getting me this far. I know I've got a ways to go, but I'm going to do it all on my own from here on out. <laughs> Nothing happens because fruit can't make fruit. Only the source can make fruit. And that's what we're talking about here is, is we engage with him and he transforms us to be like him. So as you look at the Spirit, I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, as we listed by Paul, I just want to ask, is that who you're becoming? And let me say it another way. Are you becoming something else? Because it's who you're abiding in or remaining in that you become. So which are you? Are you becoming more like the Spirit or less like? The key is where do you abide? Are you walking with the Holy Spirit. So an apprentice, in that day, they would come along and say, be with the teacher. The second thing they do is, I want to imitate the teacher and be like the teacher. And then number three, an apprentice would commit to doing what the teacher did. And that's what we're called to do, is to do what Jesus did. The whole goal of apprenticeship is to carry on the master's work. And in this case, our calling is to grow to the point, to allow God to do his work in us, to grow to the point that in all our actions we would be able to do what Jesus did. That we would live our lives, as Dallas Willard says, as if Jesus were living our life in our place. So he's in charge. He's in control. John Ortberg says it this way. He says, the spirit never just flows in us. The spirit always flows through us so that others might flourish as well. So it's not in us, but through us so that others might flourish as well, and our goal then is to join with what Jesus is in all the world, to join with him. So the danger that many 
organizations called churches could find themselves in is that they could think that their entire purpose is to teach the truth of Jesus. And that's it. Come and we'll go deep. That we'll teach the truth of Jesus. And that's the end. And then what happens is, is that we get filled with more and more information. And I love the phrase, until we're actually no earthly good. No earthly good. And what God calls us to do is to allow the information to transform us so that then we reach out and we pour that spirit out to others that they can see Jesus in us. They can be changed. Look at what it says in Matthew 4. This is what he's talking about here. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. You want to underline, come, follow me, Jesus says. And then he says this, I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. Now, when he says, I'll send you out to fish for people, uh, that there's two ways, kind of two ways that this is actually, uh, could be interpreted. One is, it's just obvious. So we got the obvious, right? They're fishermen, and he says, you're going to go fish for people. And so they would go out that day and say, okay, how do I fish for people? I need to go reach people, catch people. That's what I'm called to do is catch people. And that is one of the ways that Jesus meant this, is that now we would go out and we would engage in the ways that we are skilled, and we would use our skills in a way that as we work, that people would see him and that they would come to him through our efforts based on our skills. That's one of the ways that Jesus means this. He really does. Whether you're a teacher or whether you're a pharmacist uh, or whether you're uh, working real estate uh, or construction, or whatever it is you do, he says that you would use your skills and then as you're doing your skill at work or in retirement that someone would see that you're different and they would be called to me because of what you're doing. That's one of the ways he, he meant this. But the other one is this, is that, uh, a, you know, i get this clear, a rabbi when he would be calling people to follow him, one of the ways he's calling people to follow him, one of the things he's saying is, is that eventually you're going to move beyond me, and just as I'm asking you to be like me, you're going to move beyond me, and as you live, you're going to pull people to you. You're going to pull people to you. And so that's the calling that we have, is to grow to the point where when people look at us, they want what we have. And so once again, you have to ask yourself, is that, is that the way people see me? Do they want what I have? Do they want the experience I'm having with God as I walk along? And he says, at once they left their nets and followed him going on from there. He saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately left the boat and their father and follow him. And so the whole point of apprenticeship is that at a certain point, the apprentice would go out and do what the rabbi was doing. And that's what Jesus calls us to do, is that we would go out and do what he's doing. Robert Mulholland, in the book I mentioned earlier, Invitation to a Journey, says this, spiritual formation is the process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Not for my sake. I mean, I love it that I have life in all its fullness. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Life in all its fullness and everything that means, but it's not for my sake. It's for more than me. Jesus had heaven. He had everything. And yet for my sake, he gave up all of that to come that I might have relationship with the Father. And that's what he calls us to do. 
to leave our comfort and to reach those who don't yet know him. And so the action here is to work out. I'm going to have to work out. So once again, we're going to say, I've got to work out my salvation. Philippians 2.13 says, I've got to work it out. So eventually, the things that Jesus did, I will be able to do. And I'll just say it this way to help us to understand. Following Jesus was never meant to be something that you added onto your life like a hobby. That's the, I think that's the danger in culture, in Christian culture, is that we just add church and Jesus on as a hobby. Oh, I've got golf. I've got woodworking. I've got pickleball. Yeah, I know. I, pinched, I guess step on toes there. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, I follow Jesus. Too. They're all hobbies that I just engage in recreationally at some point. But the life of Jesus, it offers us, and as we realize as, it, it come, as he comes to us, he wants, he wants to be the whole point of our lives, not an addendum, not an add-on, not a hobby. The whole point at home, at work, at play, everywhere that we go, and he wants us to follow him. Right, right where we've been planted, to follow him. And that's what it means to practice the way of Jesus. And I'm going to end with this. This is a Dallas Willard quote from the great omission that I mentioned. The greatest issue facing the world today. What would you say is the greatest issue facing the world today? War? Would it be homelessness? Poverty? Injustice? Oppression? What's the greatest issue? This is what he says. With all its heartbreaking needs, so those are all heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or by culture are identified as Christians will actually become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heavens into every corner of human existence. We will be his disciples, and we will learn how to live it out in every corner of human existence. He says the greatest need our culture has is for followers of Jesus to be like that. So just wrap it up. Jesus is not looking for converts to Christianity. He's looking for apprentices to the kingdom of God. And I just want to come back and center us in one last idea. And I had you underline the word whoever, whoever earlier comes to him. See, the invitation that Jesus gives to be a disciple is open to anybody. It's open to everybody. Remember, I also had you underline another word, and it was the word crowd. And this is where it gets messy, you guys. So when Jesus says to the crowd, he wasn't just saying to those who had already said yes to following him. He wasn't saying yes to those who were thinking about following him. He was thinking, saying yes to those who were just wanting to check him out. Just check him out. They're the crowd. So they heard Jesus was coming, and so they're there. Just check him out. And what we have to do as followers of Jesus is we have to be willing to live in the messiness of the values clash that happens when you have people who have not said yes to Jesus integrating with those who have said yes to Jesus because everyone's called to walk with Jesus, to experience him. So Jesus didn't say, you have to believe me to follow me. He said, follow me. So that call is open to anyone, anyone and everyone who would want to follow him. And so we have to be willing to walk with and realize that our purpose in the world is to call everyone, because we are the voice now, we are the voice, 
to follow Jesus. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've come from, whatever you believe, whatever your hang-up, whatever your hurt, whatever your habit, come and follow Jesus with me. And we're in the process of all working it out together. Nobody's perfect yet. Some of us are just a little further down the road than others. But we have to be willing to be people who live with Jesus, that we've learned to know him, be with him, that we have to become like him, and we have to do what Jesus did, final thing, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we're here today. Thank you for your words and how um, clear you were. And I pray that I've been clear today. I know that there are people that might have questions or people have consternation or people have what ifs or people have but this. And I understand all that. I do too. I don't know how it all works out, but I'm just willing to take the step. I'm willing to take the step that would say, I'm going to say yes to Jesus and it's going to be with you. And so help me to know how I can engage in habits of grace Help me know how I can slow down. Uh, I, wanna, I want to be able to say, I want to be like you. So help me to know how I can imitate you and how the Holy Spirit can transform me. And Jesus, I'll just say this. I want to do what you did. And you suffered. You surrendered. You submitted to the Father's plan. And God, that's my desire in my heart. And now I want to pray for anyone in the room who's never said yes to you that today is the perfect day. You're calling, you're calling. Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you say yes, Jesus? I know that you came, that you're God. I know that you've saved me. I know that, you've, that I've sinned and I know that I need you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn from you. I want to know you. I want to be like you. I want to do what you did. And then I'm just gonna invite others. Maybe you're not there. Would you just be willing to follow? Just come along. Come along. But take it seriously. That it just won't be Sunday that you look to what you're doing with God, but you would think about integrating even the daily prayer into your life so that that integration would allow you to meet with Jesus in a new way. God, I love you so much. And I just pray your love would permeate this place. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.